reading this morning is taken from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32, which can be found on page 53 in your pew Bibles. Jacob wrestles with God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. You just got to have faith. Those are probably words that each one of you has heard sometime in their lives on different occasions. Maybe you even have uttered them yourselves. I just got to have faith. Sometimes these words are spoken by way of encouragement, but other times these words are stated in defiance by someone who refuses to give up on hope. You just got to have faith. Often this phrase comes around when the going gets rough, when the future does not look bright, not open, not hopeful. It echoes in the isolated space of a hospital room, when there are health concerns, or ongoing uncertainty about a prognosis, or maybe around a dinner table, when there are family issues, like an adult child that has not come home in years, or a grandchild that is wandering, or when confronted with unemployment or job insecurity. When faced with difficult situations and circumstances you do not seem to have power over to change, your well-being, your sense of safety, your outlook on life don't leave untouched. 
and then to make it through, to get to the other side of it, of that what is challenging or maybe even painful, it appears to be sound advice. You just got to have faith. But not seldom this advice implies, do not complain, don't doubt. You have to trust God and what He is doing and all will be well. Surrender to what is happening. And then that's the end of the conversation. There doesn't seem to be any room for the questioning, the doubts, the anxiety, the fear. Moreover, struggling with God is at times even perceived as an act of disobedience. We can use the phrase, I just got to have faith, as a bold, confident statement to perk ourselves up. But yet it can also serve as an easy way out, as a mask to cover up or to hide what is actually going on within our souls. The unrest, anxiety, the fear, the doubt. And if that is the case, then there is a disconnect in trying to work those challenges out with God, to invite Him into the distress. In general, we people do not like to dwell in the shadows of our own heart. So we keep ourselves busy and occupied not to face them. Now you may also have come across people who, despite the incredible uncertainty that they face or even life-threatening situations that they find themselves in, radiate a profound sense of peace, a deep trust in God, their Maker. Somehow their soul seems to be protected from anxiety and fear and their minds from, from troubling thoughts. And those would be things that we would expect to happen when there are those challenges. But when you meet someone like that, you won't forget him or her easily. They somehow leave a lasting impression. They have received a true gift from God and that is often how they also will talk about it. Not seldom has that peace been given after a dark night. That state of being, of having faith and trust, is not something we can attain on our own, and certainly we cannot demand that from one another. Now this morning we read the story of Jacob, who chooses to be by himself in the middle of the night. It is the night before he will encounter his brother Esau. Now, we're wondering why did he was there all by himself? Did he seek the solitude of his own soul? Or was it an act of cowardice to send everything and everyone ahead of him? We do not know, and the story doesn't tell. What we do know, however, is that he wrestled with someone in the night till the dawn. And we will see that this story shows a different way of engaging with God, of being faithful in the wrestling. And the question this morning is, do we, do we allow in our own faith journey for this wrestling with God? So some context to this story. Jacob is on his way to his country of origin. He is traveling in a large procession. He is taking with him his family, his slaves, his flocks, and all his belongings that he has gathered over a period of 20 years while he was with his uncle Laban. The blessing that Jacob had received from his father, Isaac, 
upon fleeing his parents' house to find safety with his uncle Laban had been partially fulfilled. In Genesis 28, we read that Jacob received this blessing from Isaac. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. It is a blessing that contains of two parts. One is becoming a community of peoples, and two is receiving the promised land. And now this second part of the blessing is about to come to fulfillment. The land was about to be given to Jacob. Because while Jacob was still living with his uncle Laban, he received a calling from God to go back to the land of his fathers, to his relatives, and that God promised also that he will be with him. So it is now in obedience to God that Jacob embarked on his journey home. However, Jacob is not anticipating a warm welcome. On the contrary, he dreads to see his brother Esau again because his brother might still be filled with hatred and anger towards Jacob, his own brother who had tricked him and had received the blessing from their father Isaac that was actually meant for the oldest brother, for Esau. And Esau had wanted to kill them, him 20 years ago. So now, 20 years later, how would Esau respond to his return? So Jacob sends out messengers to Esau. But these messengers return with the message that Esau is coming Jacob's way, accompanied by 400 men, so not a small crew. And Jacob is terrified. And so he attempts to appease his brother by sending gifts to him and words of submission. Jacob is actually kind of hiding himself behind his possession. And Jacob is, is overtaken by anxiety. And despite God's hopeful promise and signs of his blessings in Jacob's life, and even the incredible manifestation of God, we read earlier in chapter 32 that um, God's angels meet Jacob on the way. So despite all those notions of encouragement, of God being with him, Jacob is terrified. Faith and unbelief, trust and anxiety, they're often so close together. So we find Jacob at the stream of the Jabbok in the middle of the night, all by himself. And the root of that word Jabbok in Hebrew means struggle. And as many of you probably know, in the Jewish tradition, names of places and of people contain a deeper meaning. It is not accidentally that this is where Jacob finds himself wrestling. It is at a cross point of his life. He is about to cross the divide of water that is separating him from his brother, but it is also separating the future from the past. It is a stream that is separating him from the land that God has called him to return to, and that is the land of the promise. He has to go through it, and he cannot go back out of fear of his brother. And it is at this border of crossing, which is not only marked by the river, but also by the notion of the night, that the measuring of powers is taking place. Because who is it that Jacob is wrestling with? 
The Bible translators have the wonderful heading of Jacob is wrestling with God, but when we look at the story, it doesn't tell. So who could it be? Would it be Esau, who is taking revenge? Or is Jacob wrestling with himself? Is he battling his shadow sides? Is he being haunted by guilt for what he has done in the past? Or would this anonymous figure maybe be an angel? Like I said, the story leaves it blank. And the Dutch theologian Ruud Gansevoort explains that that is exactly the crux of this story. There is no clarification of who this figure is. And this is what the story wants to tell. Often, you do not know who you're fighting with. And you're trying to understand whether what is happening to you comes from God or the devil or something within yourself or from someone else. As one colleague noted, often that is all one knot. It's all tied up together and it's difficult to unravel that. But the wrestling does not end with defeat for one or the other, even though the story tells that Jacob is stronger than his opponent who cripples Jacob by touching his hip. Jacob continues to hold its, his grip, and the man even has to ask Jacob to let him go since the dawn is breaking. But Jacob insists that the man blesses him, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. A Dutch theologian and pastor, Jan de Wolf, reformulates it as follows. You must struggle till you can say, I will not let you go until this, what is challenging me, turns into a blessing. I will not let you go until this, what is challenging me, turns into a blessing. The man, however, is not easy on Jacob. And he, he asked Jacob, what is your name? And also that is a crucial moment in this story and in the life of Jacob. Because that is a question that was asked Jacob 20 years ago by a blind father who was then deceived by his own son. So you can imagine that the angels who were there at that time 20 years ago were holding their breath now. How will Jacob answer this time? So what is your name? The second time this question comes up in Jacob's life. And Jacob answers, Jacob. And that is no less than a confession because Jacob means deceiver. Jacob's life was marked by deceit. I am a deceiver, says Jacob. He is not walking away from his past. He brings it out in the open at the breaking of the dawn. Vulnerable. He does not hide himself. And so then absolution follows. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob is no longer the deceiver, but the one who struggles with God. And that is how God is. He does not remember the sins of your youth. You receive a new name. You may start anew. You may see your life in a different light. It is the light of a new dawn. And as Christians, we are reminded of Easter morning. In Christ, the old has gone, the new has come, a new creation. Through Christ, we are a forgiven people. 
It's the sacrament of baptism that signifies that our sins are put to death so that we may rise with Christ. Jacob is baptized Israel, and as Israel, he receives the blessing. Now Jacob poses the question, who are you? But the man who blesses him does not want to reveal his identity. And so that leaves room for the ambiguity that we may experience when wrestling with ourselves, with life, with others, with God. However, it is Jacob himself who identifies the stranger as God. He calls the place of this nightly encounter Peniel, which means the face of God. He saw God face to face, and yet his life was spared. There are times in our lives that we may experience something like that as well. When we are looking back on a tragic or dark period in a life in which we struggled, of which we say afterwards that it was a struggle with God, and we might have come out of it injured, but also blessed, identifying goodness that have, has been received through it. This is not something that we can say and decide for one another. It is something that a person can only discover for oneself, like Jacob at the breaking of the dawn. A new day starts for Jacob, the beginning of a new future. As Israel, he enters the country of his birth on his way to be reconciled with his brother. It did not come without a struggle and without the injury. Jacob is limping. Every step that he takes in the future will remind him of the struggle, but also of the blessing he received. He knows that without the wrestling and the blessing, he would still have been the deceiver. And so he carries his injury as a lasting symbol of his dependence on God. Maybe you also carry marks of a similar wrestling. Has your journey through life not left you without injury? In our community of faith, we can identify also in this space symbols that remind us of our own dependence on God. As the familiar hymn goes, here are symbols to remind us of a lifelong need of grace. Table, font, and pulpit. Here the cross has central place. Those are symbols that speak to our brokenness, our weakness as people. And at the same time, they remind us of the blessing we have received in Christ to be reconciled children of God. As Jacob was brought into a place of revealing himself, of showing his true identity, so we are invited to be vulnerable in the challenges we face in relation to ourselves, to other, to God. When the going gets rough, a phrase like, you just got to have faith, can also mean do not give up. Do not stop wrestling, but be patient in your afflictions to speak with the words of the Apostle Paul and persist. We live with the reality that we cannot always locate God when the darkness closes in. However, when we persist to approach God, even wrestle with God, we may rest assured that He shows Himself to be faithful.
that he is with us. For in Christ he has shown that death does not have the final word, but life. And to this God of life be all the glory. Will you pray with me?